Hello, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. Come to you each morning at 9 a.m. And uh, let's see, I see Chris saying, welcome home, Ethan. No, that's not yet. Um, tomorrow I'll be driving to Nebraska to pick him up and come back on Saturday. So uh, soon, just a couple days, but uh Regardless, I was at a pastor conference here the last couple of days, uh, which was actually quite excellent. Um, sometimes they're, you know, it's hit or miss, as as with any conference. Not every topic is maybe as relevant or as interesting um, to every pastor there, right? Um, this time, uh, both topics were um, the topic for the first two days and then the topic for yesterday um, uh, were interesting to me. Uh, yesterday was actually quite phenomenal. Um, it was, it was, uh, uh, quite a bit more information or understanding of the book of Hebrews. And remember, we went through the book of Hebrews not that long ago for our evening Bible study uh, online. And uh, I, I took kind of a classic position on on a lot of the uh, matters. And this takes, uh, the presenter uh, gave us quite a bit of more recent scholarship and some of his insights from his doctoral work. Really phenomenal um, opening up that book even further for me. So I appreciate that. Um, the congregation allowing me to take the, the time to go um, be a part of uh, the, the brotherhood of pastors uh, and to study together. All right. Uh, but yes, I'll be driving out. i try to pre-record um, devotions. I'm not sure. Be, <laughs> my schedule is really tight. We'll see if I can pre-record for Saturday as well, but definitely for tomorrow. And uh, there you go. All right. Let's begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven, excuse me, and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, let's say our memory verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 6. Our psalm is Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as a heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. 
he who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Good. Our first reading is from Genesis 22, the testing of Abraham, well, or of Isaac, as the case may be, right? Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of your enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So, Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. All right. Um, You might ask, why are we reading this today? And the key here, um, maybe a couple expressions. Verse 8, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Um, And also, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Mm-hmm. 
Now, this story, um, it's interesting. I mean, you can read interpretations, say, from uh, modern Jewish scholars. Um, sorry, let's turn off the light so you can see it. Here's my Jewish study Bible, all right? <laughs> uh, meant for lay people, right? So it's just, you know, like, well, how do they, how would they understand, possibly understand this text, right? I mean, what could it, what could they possibly have to say about Genesis 22? What is the purpose or the point of this, all right? Um, so let's see, uh, specifically, let's ask about, what do we want to ask about? Well, let's just look at the beginning. I'll just tell you what, it, what, what they have to say and then see what you think about this. This magnificently told story known in Judaism as the uh, Akedah, or binding, is one of the gems of biblical narrative. It also comes to occupy a central role in rabbinic theology and eventually to be incorporated into the daily liturgy. Jewish tradition re- regards the Akedah as the 10th and climactic test of Abraham, the first Jew. All right. Um, so the order of the Hebrew is your son, your favored one, the one whom you love, Isaac, and indicates increasing tension. Not only is Isaac the son upon whom Abraham's life has centered, he also loves him. As Abraham did not love Isaac, the co- if Abraham did not love Isaac, the commandment to sacrifice him would have not have constituted much of a test. The expression, go to uh, Lechena, which otherwise occurs only in 12 verse 1, the initial command to Abraham ties this narrative to the beginning of Abraham's dealings with God. All right? So you can start to see, oh, now this, this is some useful information. They, they number that there's 12 tests of Abraham, and this is the final test. All right, so now that's interesting. Um, but you're like, well, but why, why the sacrifice? All right, so listen to what they have to say about sacrifice. The verse resembles, uh, well, we'll go here. The expulsion of Ishmael in the preceding chapter and the Akedah have much in common, but the latter is more wrenching since Abraham is directly commanded to sacrifice his son and the angelic intervention is thus more surprising. Some have wondered why Abraham, who protested God's apparent decision to destroy the innocent with the guilty in Sodom, chapter 18, here obeys without objection. The essence of the answer is that the context in channel in chapter 18 is forensic, whereas the context of the Akedah is sacrificial. All right, so Sodom has to do with judgment. This has to do with sacrifice. A sacrifice is not an execution. And in a sacrificial context, the unblemished condition of the one offered does not detract from, but rather commends the act. Abraham may be concealing the truth from his servants, from Isaac, and from himself. Alternatively, he may be expressing his profound trust in God's promise, casting his faith. All right. So what they what they do, oh, here's another note. So the rabbis in rabbinic interpretation suggest that both Abraham and Isaac are willing participants. Hmm. So that's how they kind of get around with it. The substitution of a male sheep for the firstborn son has parallels in ancient Near East and foreshadows the story of the Paschal Lamb, Exodus 12. Contrary to widespread misperception, however, the story is not about the superiority of animal to human sacrifice, nor is it a polemic against human sacrifice. God commands the sacrifice of Isaac at the beginning of the story and commends and rewards Abraham for being willing to carry it out through to the end. And Midrash has Abraham, that's a teaching, um, praying that God see the blood of this ram as if it were the blood of my son Isaac, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So you notice what they side, what they sidestep, what they never deal with. I could read you more. Well, God commands it, so they do it. 
right? But they don't ask they don't ask the question, why would God command the same sort of sacrifice as the nations, which he all disputes? Yeah, they just call it a story. And what they do with it is they say that this is it's teaching us a greater truth. That's what they're doing here, right? And the greater truth of like, um, you know, a noble sacrifice under God's command. Hmm. Of course, um, we know what this story is actually about. <laughs> and that's why I gave you those hints about I withheld your son, your only son from me. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering, right? Um, we would argue that the only way you can understand this story, truly understand it um, and, and appreciate it and not simply just call it this abhorrent um, disaster of a, of a story, really, which was what it is um, in its bare, you know, obvious meaning that God would command sacrificing the son of promise. I mean, there is the faith of Abraham and it's commended to, um, especially in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Um, but on the surface, the, the act is uh, detestable, right? Unless it's a prototype or a picture of the necessary sacrifice that will be made for sins, right? So to that point, now we can look at our reading for catechesis today <laughs> to give you some background there. I just, I, I love how they just kind of dance around what is, what is at the heart of the issue. It's like child sacrifice, it's abhorrent to God. Then why did he command it? All right. Then he said to them, Jesus, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And they led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he parted from them and carried, and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. All right. So we have this uh, ascension story according to Luke volume 1. We'll hear the ascension according to Luke volume 2 tomorrow. Um, Luke interestingly tells the ascension story twice. <laughs> uh, with different purpose. So we'll, we'll see that. Um, all right, so the questions here, right? Um, what is Jesus emphasizing in verse 44? Yeah, everything that has been spoken um, by him, by way of Moses, the prophets, and the psalm, psalm, you know, the psalmist, must be fulfilled. That is completed, brought to their culmination, to their purpose. That's what he means, right? Um, of course, when we hear Mos the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, what are we thinking about? What do we, what do we call that? You know, the Bible calls it the scriptures. Uh, we would call it the Old Testament, right? All right. Um, old as in not bad or evil or broken or in needing of replacement, but rather that which preceded Christ. Okay. Um, think of sing to the Lord a new song referring to the gospel, right? Um, what did uh, Jesus say is taught in the Old Testament? And here's the key. Jesus provides the, uh, the key that unlocks the door, if you like, to like the Genesis, um, the story from Genesis of, of Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac. Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary, according to the story, right? Not just prophetic 
word, but direct. According to that story, it is necessary that God provide the sacrifice, right? It's necessary that the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Now you see it, right? Um, this is Jesus with this, with the, what we would call a hermeneutical key, right? Or the key that unlocks the door. Um, I'm just looking up here. I have a, a book from, uh, from Chad Bird. It's called The Christ Key. I see it up there, right? Uh, which is his point. You can unlock the scriptures if you read it as testifying of Jesus, which is what he tells you to do right here, right? Um, and also what's necessary then, according to the scriptures, that repentance um, and forgiveness of sins be proclaimed, right? So notice there's some parallels here. Here it says that it's necessary for the Christ to suffer, right? And then in verse 47, it's that repentance is the parallel so Christ's suffering is um, paralleled to our repentance. His rising from the dead on the third day is paralleled to our remission of sins. You see how he does that? Right, that parallelism there. So repentance um, is the proper preaching of the law that crucifies um, and kills the flesh. Forgiveness of sins comes because the preaching of the gospel enlivens faith and raises us to walk in newness of life. Good. Who is to hear this preaching? Hmm. Ponta ethne, all nations, right? know the Greek on that one. And uh, who do this preaching? Those whom he has sent, right? The witnesses, the disciples, mm-hmm. those who saw it. All right. Um, and then uh, by extension now, they're, they're students, they're disciples who become apostles, sent ones. And then, of course, the what we now just call the, the office of the holy ministry or the apostolic office. Who would be sent to them? Verse 49. It's called here the promise of my father. Right, which is another name for the Holy Spirit. We covered this a few, maybe a week ago, right? All right, now, the ascension. Where does he take them to? As far as Bethany, all right? Remember Bethany being about two miles, I think? Yeah, two miles from Jerusalem. Um, and what did Jesus, or what did the, well, this is key, what did the disciples see when Jesus lifted up his hands in blessing? Right, just like in church. They see the print of the nails, the marks of his victory over death, the source, actually, speaking by his wounds, we are healed, right? To quote the apostle. Mm-hmm. So those are the source of all blessing. Um, maybe he blessed them with the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. You've heard that before. Right? Uh, and then how did Jesus leave them? It says here, uh, according to this account, he was carried up into heaven. Um, then where did the disciples go? I think this is this is really important for us to recognize because it indicates their ongoing, um, their ongoing relationship to the scriptures, right? To what we might call the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Hmm. They go to the temple. Why? Because that's where, one, they're supposed to remain in Jerusalem uh, until they're endued with the power from on high, right? The Holy Spirit. But also because the temple is the place where God's word is publicly um, read daily. Uh, and then, of course, they would go out, as we see in Acts, they go out onto the porch, on the patio, on Solomon's portico, uh, and then they would expound or exhort the people from the scriptures that were heard there. Uh, so this is an interesting uh, thesis. It'd be kind of hard to, to spin this out, but it, but but I would suggest that the Christian, actually, it's not that hard, the, the Christian liturgical calendar year, so, so the church year, which begins with Advent, actually mimics... Um, the Old Testament calendar. Although our months don't line up, they have 14 months, we have 12. There's all sorts of calendar issues. Um, 
that I think is kind of absurd, actually, that we we force this strange Roman calendar on when we should just follow a, a calendar that follows the pattern of the scriptures. This is my new crusade. I, I won't get anywhere with it, but that we begin the year with spring and we end the year um, um, the following you know, winter. So the winter is the last season of the year and spring is the beginning of the new year. Um, I don't think I'm going to get anywhere with it, but same way, same thing. My point is that we count the day according to sunrise and sunset and not according to um, some atomic clock and precisely divided 12, 12 hour days, unless you're close to the equator and then it's going to be that way naturally. Right. Uh, but that if you're, if you're far North, like we are, um, you sleep more in the winter than you do in the summer. The days are, the days are longer in the summer. So you spend, you can spend longer and work in the winter. You, you rest more. That's my opinion. But anyway, um, but the calendar year, right? So they would continue to hear uh, appointed readings for each day. There was a lectionary. There was a calendar um, for the church. Uh, and that, of course, um, I think what they generally did is a, um, they would read either over a span of a year or over three years. They would read through um, the Law of Moses, and then there would be a reading from, from the prophets, and there would be a reading from um, the Tonic or the, the Midrash, the other teachings, right? So, uh, so that they would read through all of Moses at least once a year, um, or maybe in some places every three years, they would get through, right? And it would just be continuous readings. So there's a place for that. When did the calendar become different? Oh boy, this is a big topic. I feel like I talked about this in Bible study on Sunday, so you can go and watch the video on YouTube for that. Um, even at the time of the Reformation, um, our churches were, were using what's called the Julian calendar, which is an old Roman calendar. Um, the calendar as we have it today uh, has only been in place kind of universally in the Western world since like for the last 250 years, maybe or so. Um, I know the English church did not switch from Julian when the Germans did. They, they waited later. So the English church, I think it depends on which was King who was King. Uh, but you have to look at the uh, <laughs> history of Western calendars. What it makes it, makes it really diff- difficult actually to find out somebody's birthday because you have to convert from one calendar to the next. <laughs> oh man, the brief history of the Western calendar. There we go. Oh man. Yeah. So uh, the Julian was replaced with the Gregorian and then we have the modern, um, let's see, Julian started, uh, it had 365 and a quarter days, right? With a leap year, etc. Then there was the Gregorian, Pope Gregory, 1572, all right? So again, that's late, and, and neither the Lutherans nor the Anglicans adopted that right away. And then the, the more modern, cal- what we call the modern calendar today, um, is credited to Scythian monk Dionysus Exigius of the 6th century. However, this is inaccurate, all right? So there's all these competing calendars. I'll provide you a link. This is a pretty good summary here. I, these are the things that you just don't know about, right? Same thing with days and hours and uh, numbering the days. All right. Um, there's actually another point here that we should make. Um, this is not the first time that there's been someone, there's more that happens more than once in the scriptures, but two notable examples of people um, tarrying in Jerusalem, right? Staying behind or even being left behind in Jerusalem um, and residing in the temple to hear God's word and to expound it. Two children, actually. All right. Old Testament example is 1 Samuel chapter 3. It's Samuel, right? 
the prophet Samuel. Before he's prophet, he's the young child, right? Um, and he's given by his mother Hannah to, to um, dedicate it to, to the service of, of the temple, being the firstborn son, who is, and he, he's not redeemed uh, back into the household, the family household, but rather given over um, to the service of the, of the temple. Or excuse me, um, tabernacle at that point, right? Yeah. And then, um, is that right? Yeah, tabernacle, right. And then um, the other example, the parallel, is another mother who gives her son over, well, to the service of the church. Rather, he gets left behind in Luke chapter 2, right? Back at the beginning. Um, Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus is there. All right, very good. So the key to understanding the scriptures is always the Christ who suffered, died, and rose again. The scriptures are not a handbook for morality or a manual for living. The scriptures testify of Christ. Even the commandments are essential in condemning and accusing us so that we see Christ as the way of salvation. The commandments aren't chiefly given for us to live a moral and upright life. They are to show us our sin, to lead us to faith in Christ. Scriptures are always to call us to faith in Christ, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, so that the proper understanding of the scriptures is achieved only through the preaching of the, Christ, of the crucified and risen Christ. As God once dwelt in the temple, he is now present where Christ's word is preached and his sacraments are administered. We no longer stay in the city of Jerusalem. We now dwell in the new Jerusalem, the church, where the voice of the good shepherd calls to his sheep in the preaching of Christ, who suffered and rose from the dead on the third day. From the church, Jesus himself reaches out to draw all nations to himself that they might have new life in his name. All right, good. Let's confess our catechism to parents. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 4. To children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. All right, let's sing our hymn.
right. Uh, before we say the prayer, actually, we have a commemoration today. I think I might just move that. Let's just do this. I'll move our commemoration here. All right, good. <laughs> Change the format. Why not? Um, today is the commemoration of Frederick the Wise, a uh, Christian ruler. Uh, so here's a summary. Frederick the Wise, elector of Saxony from 1486 to 1525, was Martin Luther's sovereign in the early years of the Reformation. Were it not for Frederick, there might not have been a Lutheran Reformation. Born in Torgau, Germany in 1463, Frederick became so well known for his skill in political diplomacy and his sense of justice and fairness that he was called the wise by his subjects. Although he never met Luther, Frederick repeatedly protected and provided for him. In all likelihood, he saved the reformer from the martyr's fate when he refused the Pope's demand to extradite Luther to Rome for a heresy trial in 1518. When Emperor Charles V declared Luther an outlaw in 1521 at the Diet of Worms, Frederick provided sanctuary for Luther at Wartburg Castle. On his deathbed, Frederick received the Lord's Supper in both kinds, a clear confession of evangelical faith. So uh, we have a letter here from Frederick um, to his brother, Duke John, from 1520. Listen to what he has to say. Highborn Prince, kind dear brother and kinsman, Herewith I send you a book written by Dr. Martin Luther, in which you will find many wonderful things. God Almighty grant that in ter- it turn out well, for truly things are coming to light which many people conceal. May God Almighty vouchsafe to us poor sinners that we be improved and not made worse thereby. I would not keep this from you since you asked me to send you whatever Dr. Luther writes, and I am always willing to serve you. I am glad the books I sent pleased you and my nephew. Please tell the dear boy, Johann Frederick, that I am informed that the cardinals and Romanists with their followers are taking counsel against Dr. Luther to put him under the ban of the empire and persecute him to the uttermost. But there are many other people who wish him well. Grant, God grant graciously that it be for our good. Isn't that beautiful? All right, we pray. Heavenly Father, you provided wisdom and skill to Frederick the Wise as elector of Saxony during the early years of the Reformation using his rule and authority to protect Martin Luther and to preserve the preaching of the gospel. Graciously regard all your servants who make, administer, and judge the laws of this nation, and look with favor upon all rulers of the earth. Grant them wisdom and understanding that they may might provide sanctuary for your church and continue to proclaim the true faith, for you live and reign with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, we pray today. Uh, the collect for this week. O God, through the humiliation of your Son, you raised up the fallen world. Grant to your faithful people, rescued from the peril of everlasting death, perpetual gladness and eternal joys. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray today for the church and her pastors, for all missionaries, teachers, deaconesses, and other servants of Christ in his church, for the fruitful and salutary use of the blessed sacrament of the Lord's body and blood, Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray this day with Deb, Sandy, and Esther, who all celebrate their baptism, with Jared and Michelle, who celebrate their anniversary. We pray for the households of our church, especially um, that of Dawn, um, of Merlin, Sean, Jim and Karen, Angie, and Stephanie. Continue to give thanks to God for the acceptance of the divine call by Mrs. Polster and for 20 years of teaching by Mrs. Kipp. We pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Bev, Kelsey, Amanda, Dan, Brad, Timothy, and Merlin, Jim, and Mike. 
our homebound Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, and Paul. Pray for our mission of the month, Lutherans for Life, and ask the Lord to give us generous hearts to support um, their work and the cause of life in our country. We pray in intercession for the preservation and increase of faith. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, Eileen asks in the chat, uh, communion in both kinds, question mark. All right, for this, you need to remember, um, what were the chief articles of dispute of the, of the Church of the Augsburg Confession with the Church of Rome? All right, so um, initially, I mean, it was not on the doctrine of justification. The, the question wa- were actually a, a series of articles, all right? And these are sometimes, see, where do they start here? Uh, yep. All right, summary statement, worship of the saints. All right, so these are the articles of contention between um, those of the Augsburg Confession and the Church of Rome, all right? Article 22 of the Augsburg Confession is both kinds in the sacrament. So what it's referring to there is, I'll just tell you, the lady are given both kinds, that is the bread and the wine, in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper because this practice has the Lord's command. Drink of it, all of you. Christ has clearly commanded that all should drink from the cup, all right? So at the time of the Reformation, uh, up until fairly recently, most Roman parishes withheld the cup from the people. The people only received the host body. And their argument was, well, we don't want to spill the wine. Um, okay. And you maybe you've seen the Luther movie and what happens there. Uh, and they would also argue, well, where there's body, there must be blood. Right. Well, now you're, you're, this is what we call sophistry. You're just, you're um, arguing from reason rather than from the clear words of Jesus, which say, take and eat, take and drink. Right. And lest anyone misleadingly say that this refers only to the priests, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven, Paul cites an example. From this, it appears that the whole congregation used both kinds, body and blood. This practice has remained in the church for a long time. It is not known when or by whom or by whose authority it was changed. Cardinal Casunas mentions the time when it was approved. Cyprian, in some places, testifies that the blood was given to the people. Jerome testifies to the same thing when he says the priests administer the Eucharist and distribute the blood of Christ to the people. Indeed, Pope Galatius commands it that the sacrament not be divided. And they cite the work. Only a recent custom has changed this. It is clear that any custom introduced against God's commandments is not to be allowed, as church law bears witness. They cite a canon law there. This custom has been received not only against the scripture, but also against old canon law and the example of the church. Therefore, if anyone preferred to use both kinds in the sacrament, they should not have been compelled to do otherwise as an offense against their conscience. 
Because the division of the sacrament does not agree with the ordinance of Christ, it is our custom to omit the procession with the host which has been used before. That's referring to Corpus Christi. All right? So, yeah. Um, and then the other articles of contention, so both kinds referring to body, bread and wine, uh, marriage of priests, the mass, we call the Lord's Supper, confession, um, the distinction of meats, referring to uh, mandatory fasts, monastic vows, and church authority. Yep, I think that's the last one is church authority. Right. Right. And then what we what we learned is that we couldn't talk about those topics without also talking about all the fundamental um, theological topics as well. Like who is God? What is original sin? Who is Jesus? Right. What is the church? What are the sacraments, etc. Um, another comment I see in the chat during uh, Reverend John uh, Feeney's sabbatical, he did a study and it completed the year of the Bible. It's based on the calendar used in Bible times. I believe you should get a copy. Yeah, I would love to get one. I did not know he had done this. I'm sure there's others too that have done this work. Um, I only was thinking about it yesterday because um, our presenter suggested the actual um, calendar, you know, Hebrew calendar um, text that would have been read on the day when the when the when the sermon of Hebrews, we call it the book of Hebrews, but it's the sermon when that sermon was preached, and I found his argument very compelling. Um, I think he's right. Uh, what the text of the day was, and what the, and we know what day that text was appointed for. We know quite a bit of them. I mean, like Psalm one eighteen, for example, was appointed for what we call Holy Week, what they called you know Passover. That would have been prayed every day. We know that to be the case. They prayed it on Palm Sunday, right, all the way through um, to the Passover. Yeah. So both kinds. Um, again, and some Roman churches still do this. Um, we uh, That statement that we keep the sacrament whole, I think, is the key. Always receive both bread and wine. All right? Good. Now there's a trumpet in the background. Okay. So that's it for today. Um, you can join us again tomorrow, 9 a.m. We'll look at the ascension of our Lord according to Luke, volume two, the book of Acts. All right. And uh, with that, I will see you later. Adios. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.